Hello and a very warm welcome to the Big Carp News Podcast. I'm your host Joel Harbour and I'm delighted to be bringing you a number of podcasts over the coming months. We'll be talking all things carpy right here in the USA, everything from the history of carp angling right up to current times and absolutely everything in between. So whether you're out on the road or on a session waiting for a fish or just relaxing in the comfort of your own home, grab yourself a drink, take the weight off and sit back as I'm delighted to connect you with a number of guests right here on the Big Carp News Podcast. Our next guest, as you will hear, takes a somewhat scientific approach to his angling. From a very young age, his passion of angling led him to a career offering a very in-depth understanding of fish and fish habitats as a fisheries biologist. Over the years, he's worked with the American Carp Society as an aquatic consultant, and as of late, making a huge move along with his family from Texas all the way back to Connecticut. He's now in search of some of the giants that reside in the waters of New England, and as I found out, his drive and dedication, I'm sure, will soon see him reach some goals. It's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Evan Cartabiano. impromptu session really wasn't it kind of thrown together last minute yeah basically it was uh, the opportunity presented itself and um for me that's the best time to go fishing so yeah you're kind of opportunistic angler right you're trying to take the time when you get it exactly you know it's it's all for me pretty much short session you know busy you know family schedule and work and everything else tends to make it difficult to get out for for longer but you know Better to be out than not at all, though, right? That's exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't worry too much about the weather or any other forecasts simply because the best time for me to go is whenever I can. So. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you uh, if you were to treat it the other way, you probably wouldn't get out get out much at all, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah if, if, if it was just based on, on uh, when my schedule happened to coincide with, with good fishing times, it would be uh, very far and few between for me. So we are yet to have any fish, but, um, you know, like anything, when you're in the middle of doing something, hopefully one of these rods will go. We've got a couple of rods out each, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We've seen plenty of fish. Plenty of fish showing, isn't there? Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) So if anyone's got any pointers out there, not that it's going to help us at this moment in time, but uh, (laughs) to, uh, yeah pick up some of these fish there's some good ones showing though seen a couple of really good sized fish so but on to evan mr evan can you tell us a little bit about yourself i know obviously you've had some uh hands in things like uh the american carp society obviously you're um marine biologist fish biologist yes yeah so um i uh am a, a fisheries biologist by trade and um did all the, the schooling necessary for that and then worked for a number of state governments for a number of years, right. um, mostly in the South, um, the Carolinas and Texas. Um, and so, yeah, and now I've decided to you know relocate, obviously, to New England. Yeah, how does that move? Like, what, that's big old trek across the country. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm originally from up here, but... Um, okay. You know, it's been a while since I've lived here and, you know, moving, what was it, 1,500 miles or something, it's it's a, you know, it's quite a process. Um, Not exactly maybe the most pleasant process either, but now it's done. So uh, now I've just got to figure out how to catch carp in New England. yeah, it's it's um I mean that it's quite a difference, isn't it, from being down that way to, to over here. Yes, yeah, you know, the 
Um, you know, we're up here. There's, you know, obviously in, in New England, you've got a lot of big rivers that are, you know, are really productive. Whereas, you know, in Texas, most of it is fishing in reservoirs. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, those reservoirs can be, you know, pretty big, you know, sort of a mid-size one, 27,000 acres you know around here you don't get anything like that no 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 you don't (laughs) i feel like it's this side of the you know i say this side of the punt over this way uh, this side of the country it's more um in my mind it's more like wild like the rivers they're a little harsher yeah Um, yeah, whereas you go more inland like that texas area you've got these lakes that are you know they're obviously huge but at the same time they're a little bit more in my mind looked after in in some ways um i guess it depends on which way you want to look at it yeah um you know in you know further north where we are here you have a lot more seasonal you know, changes than you do in Texas, right? Um, yeah. Or or anywhere in the South, for that matter. And you know, those lakes, they are man-made. You know, that's the thing about them is, up here, you know, the the river is, you know, it may be impounded in places and whatnot, but it's still flowing. It's still essentially a river. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, all the lakes down there, there's not, you know, there's maybe what one natural lake in Texas and the rest are all man-made. So, um, that tells <laughs> Gives you, you an idea. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, it's, so that comes with its own, you know, set of, of challenges, um, which are certainly different than what you experience in other places. Yeah. Now, I mean, comparing the two, obviously like we're, I mean, uh, we're on a river at the moment. So obviously we know that, um, big, big difference in comparison into terms of how the fish move and all that you know uh, how they feed the natural resources that are available to them versus the lakes in like the central texas area what are your differences that you've seen you know like in terms of the food sources that are available is it similar or a lot of differences there there is some similarity for sure um you know mussels and crayfish and things you know those are found pretty much everywhere in the country and those reservoirs often have a lot of those uh you know the the one really big difference is the other fish species so um further north you know there's just less less diversity so Mm -hmm. in the south you know you have a whole bunch of buffalo species um you know there's sometimes more catfish species uh there's more gizzard shad there's there's just a lot more fish yeah in general um that you know all at some point generally eat carp bait so that can change the fishing a little bit yeah it's uh i mean it's definitely one of those things i think you've got to take into consideration you know you got to fish through all of those other species just to get to connect with you know decent decent carp at least anyway right Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention was the turtles. You know, um, <laughs> here, you know, in New England, you know, there's two major species, you know, snapping turtle, common snapping turtle, and then painted turtle. Yeah. Um, down in the south, you get, you have those, well, not so much the painted turtle, but, you know, you have sliders and things, uh, a couple different species there, and as well as, you know, the snapping turtles, and then you also have soft-shell turtles. And just as big, though, just as anno- much as an annoyance, aren't they? Yeah, the, yeah, uh... the, the soft-shell turtles are, are really an impressive creature. You know, they weigh 30 pounds, be as, you know, big around as a small table almost. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you get, <laughs> if you get one on your line, um, you actually think you have a carpet first. They give a good run. You're 
you're, you're initially yeah yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right, right, right. well even for a little while they'll, they'll pull Jeez. out drag and everything you think you have a fish um but it turns out it's just a ginormous <laughs> turtle <laughs> yeah I, I, not for me i mean uh, the few the few run-ins i've had with turtles here uh in connecticut new york that you know in the surrounding states uh, that have been very quick for me thankfully where the hooks come out or um I've been able to kind of remove it quickly without having too much, right? Too, yeah, too the, much drama with those things. The um, the soft shells also, if um, especially if you're using a longer hook link or something like that, they'll sometimes swallow the bait, and it, it just can it can be a real real hassle. Yeah, don't want to deal um, with that. But so you know, there's there's I'm in, I'm enjoying the the relative lack of turtles. Um, so have you? Been, I mean, have you since since the move, have you been getting out much um, here in Connecticut? Yeah, not nearly as much as I would like, simply because um, we moved into a, a house that needed some repairs and things like that. So, okay. you know, there's been um, other life stuff that's unfortunately... Life just gets in the way, doesn't you're right, it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's part of it, isn't it? I think. Absolutely. And, you know, that really, you know, my... Uh, fishing, you know, is, is, you know, is part of that life, you know, yeah. it's not, um, you know, it's not something separate. It gives you more to look forward to as well, doesn't it? When exactly. you do get the time to actually get out there and do what you love doing, you appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Like anything else, if you, you know, yeah. if, if it's, uh, somewhat limited, then, you know, you, you maybe look forward to it a bit more cause it is absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing I obviously I I don't know if you've listened to any other podcasts. If you haven't, no worries. But <laughs> <laughs> some people haven't. Some people have. Whatever. Oh, phone call. Yeah, I should have shut that off. That's all right. Do you think? I don't know who it is. I don't have their number. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing I do enjoy to do is, or at least find out and kind of get a little background on, on anglers is, you know, how fishing began in their lives or how they started or how they got into it. Right. Um, how did that happen for you? Yeah, so um, I've been fishing fairly avidly since I was about two years old. And for, for some reason, um, fishing and, and just casting and things like that really appealed to me even at a very early age so there's you know pictures of me standing on the front porch as a two-year-old in a diaper <laughs> casting so um chucking it out into your front yard exactly yeah, yeah. you got it um and basically you know like like most people you know started off catching sunfish and things like that and yeah. that was actually in connecticut um and then kept going kept fishing for more and more started reading every fishing book that the library had um my first carp was in rhode island in the blackstone river canal oh nice and it was a little mirror um which i wouldn't mind catching today actually <laughs> but um anyhow time yet. that was time. that was you know i didn't have anyone to <clears throat> we didn't really have internet at that point even right right and you know all my uh fishing knowledge outside of what you know outside of fishing for panfish basically um or a little bit of trout fishing with my dad was you know from books so that that first carp um was purely based on just reading books about it um, so that was it was it like that was an intentional capture yeah yeah, yeah i was no, trying kinda, to catch yeah, carp okay. um and i got lucky that there was a, a large school of these little mirrors under the just yeah. hanging out and just tossed a weightless worm in the middle of them and Suck it up. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that, you know, ever since it's been um, 
you know, carp have been a species that I've I've Prime really spent a, yeah, yeah spent a lot of time fishing for. Now the um, obviously the interest in the angling that's obviously what kind of. Um, grew on your, your your want or your drive to kind of be part of or that um looking to do it more within the marine world or the fishing biology world like exactly that, that kind of yeah thing. so <clears throat> i was you know looking I, I wanted to do something with fish and um you know there's there's a few options you can pursue if you want to do something with fish um you can try commercial fishing or you can become a fishery scientist of some sort. <laughs> and uh, commercial fishing these days is, is maybe not the most uh, uh, reliable career path um, with this Everything's state of everything up. the way it is. So. A lot more people frowning on the more co- the commercial side of it now, aren't there? Like, obviously, decimation of numbers of fish and... Yeah, well, you know, everything is overfished at this point, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, been at it for a couple hundred years at this point, and, um, <laughs> you know, they've they've caught a lot of the fish, especially <laughs> on, you know, the, the you know, ground fish of, you know, the North Atlantic and whatnot, yeah. you know, certainly um, taken a bit of a beating. And then, you know, there's, there's also, of course, freshwater commercial fishing, um, especially not so much in New England, but in no. the South uh, for catfish and things like that. Um, Upstate and, New York salmon and all that. Um, right. You know, and, and there's, you know, obviously some of the so-called Asian carp, you know, there's some. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about yeah, that Yeah. Well, actually, too, like, you know, my last episode at Gilbert Huxley on, we kind of talked mm-hmm. on um, on the Asian carp and how they're introducing like a, a method or a scientific method of um, some kind of pellet that they feed and it's been, uh, um, the, whatever's in it is kind of, designed to impact the the um that, that kind of the genetics of spawning so that the carp becomes sterile right the, or the asian carp becomes sterile of some some way shape or form. i'm not sure how it works but yeah they're, they're you know obviously they're taking over aren't they <laughs> yeah they, you know they're well it's 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 not unlike any, the introduction of any new species to a system. So initially, you're going to have this huge boob, um, uh, you know, in population. It's just going to go crazy. Right. Um, and then it will, it, they will die, you know, back down. To, it'll settle at some level, which is lower than it is currently when they're still colonizing. Uh, but we really don't know. Uh, what that's going to look like at this did point. you have any part of that while you're down that way seeing seeing any kind of hands-on no i didn't have much to do with asian carp yeah most of my my stuff was um focused on sport fish oh wow okay and fishing access and habitat and things like that so oh wow. um there wasn't a whole lot of invasive species work that um i took part probably, in yeah probably I knew, for the best <laughs> yeah it's just yeah that's fine with me you know it's um yeah well, a lot of what I did was, you know, monitor fish populations, um, tweak any regulations, right. look at, um, you know, trying to enhance, uh, some, you know, add new shore fishing sites. Sometimes the utility companies would be interested in doing something like that. So oh, so just kind of taking like ac- access land to uh, open it up for people to right, kind of exactly, to. you know, try and try and improve access for anglers, things nice. like that. So um, it's always important, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, th- I think so. Yeah, That's, yeah. I wish we could have more of that around this way. Not that it's not enough, but the you can always have. You know, you can always use more, and, and yeah. you know, it. it it's very much a thing if you build, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? So, um, Yeah, it's like the cup. If you bait, they will feed. Yeah. Or not. Or in our case right now, no. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're just happy doing their own thing right now. Um, but that's that's fantastic, though. I mean, uh, so was that something that was in the guidelines of your you know job responsibilities, or was that exactly what you were there to do? Um, it was it was part of my, my yeah. job responsibilities, and you know a lot of it was targeted at you know traditional sport fish, so you know crappie, bass, catfish, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and that you know, for those. You know, for the first two there, um, you know, you're looking at, you know, habitat improvements, adding fish attractors, things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, and creating areas for anglers to fish for those species. Um, you know, the catfish was, depending on the state and what the sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it exactly, kind of their their method for addressing these things but sometimes mm -hmm. they'd have you know smaller fishing ponds where you could have fish feeders on and things like that oh so like automated uh, like exactly yeah feeders. floating yeah okay. generally floating in some of the trout ponds right stuff. exactly the same sort of thing yeah um but you know for catfish as opposed to trout um and you know and then as i said trying to improve shore fishing access which is you know something I feel what would that important. entail normally is that like uh, clearing of areas or building like deck in or yeah, that, it could that be kind of stuff all structural those exactly yeah, okay. so um you know making sure that there's a clear area on the bank making sure that there's um you know a reasonable uh you know access to that spot that sort of thing and um you know trying to make sure that it's an it's a good experience, especially for for uh, newer anglers and, yeah. and families and things that are not looking to uh, get off the beaten trail too much or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that and then the educational piece is obviously exactly. the take home, isn't it, for for a lot of new anglers that kind of they learn always learning something from it, which is always an important part of it. Right, and you know that's something that's also been of great interest to me, um, both for carp and other species. Is you know helping people to learn to fish and yeah, you know yeah. and part of that involves having a safe secure spot that's reasonably you have a stand a reasonable chance of catching something at um and that can be harder to find than i think it is yeah i mean even um you know just even now like i think a lot of the times if you go fishing as a new angler and you don't catch anything it's obviously a lesser chance you're going to go again you know Yes. Uh, yeah. Versus if you're actually in an area where you know it's going to somewhat produce a good fish and uh, you're probably more than likely not want to go, you know, you'll want to go again and actually try and catch some more. So. Yeah, so, you know, there's uh, a large part of it, you know, obviously you're fishing, so you want to catch a fish. You know, uh, the other parts, of course, are, you know, the the sort of surroundings. And, you know, if you're a family with small children and everything, you want a fairly yeah. secure environment yeah. to go fishing in. <laughs> yeah. you, know, uh, you don't want to, you know, <laughs> go to anywhere, you know, sketchy or anything Some like crazy that. crazy rave parties right. going on it, in the forest of wherever. <laughs> right, right. You, know, you don't, you know, that's not really the venue you're looking for. Right, so, right. Um, you know, having good, you know, secure sort of... Uh, easy access with with platforms and things it, you know peers obviously help if you're not doing yeah. the casting you can drop it straight. now those areas that i mean is that is that something that um the state was that was that with the state that's yes yeah mm -hmm. okay yep. so now do they list those areas like is it like yeah, on the so websites most, most stuff, states or? these days have some sort of list of fishing opportunities um within the state and that, okay. are, that are either stocked or have some sort of improvements or something like that um you know the carolinas both do texas does uh massachusetts does yeah um 
Connecticut, I believe, does it. Yeah, as well. you know, I've seen um, on on it's uh, social media more than anywhere else that I've seen it. But they do post their stocking days, right? And uh, I've seen it where they, you know, they even show some images, some more so for the trout, I think, mm-hmm. and um, and fish of that kind of nature. But um, they do they they post the locations, and uh, I don't know if it's beneficial to do that or not because you know obviously everyone's just going to start showing up and all the fish are caught instantly <laughs> right well that's you know that's sort of a um but you want people uh, to enjoy it you know yeah, right you, you know you want them to use it. it you don't want the fish you know especially in in some of these warmer water ponds where specifically where trout are stocked you know they oh. don't survive year round no, so it's it. it's, uh, it's less of a waste if they're all catch caught, them while they know? can yeah, exactly yeah. you just you know um, they're designed to be caught and eaten so um that's could never get what? my head around that. The cat. I mean, I, I've done it with salmon, the catch and catch and eat. Right. Um, it's always. I mean, obviously, I think it's just a, a growing up thing. You know, that catch and released, uh, catch and release of carp or, or any kind of coarse fish over right. mm-hmm. over the pond is a natural thing. But I suppose it's just one of those things. You know. Yeah. So you know, here to. in here in the states, you know, a lot of fishing is, you know, the sort of history of it has been subsistence rather than catch and release um and that you know with certain species certainly still is the case uh catfish or and trout are, are two main examples which um you know many states now are stocked um in, in ponds generally where right. where there is easy access uh for anyone to go catch them and you know they're they're stocked to be eaten so yeah, there's plenty of them as well, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, they <laughs> um, they generally have a fairly high stocking rate, and your your chances of success are quite good normally. Just before you move, you um, spend a lot of time helping the American Cup Society. Yes. Um, yeah, so. What was your involvement with with that? And yes. uh, so they, um, um, you know, obviously had a bit of a reboot not too long ago. Yeah. And uh, they asked if I would sort of uh, act as their sort of biological advisor if they had any questions regarding anything on the biology or ecology side of of carp or aquatic systems in general. Yeah. So I've been, you know, involved with, you know, answering a few questions there. involved with them helping them get things going at, at Mill Creek in Texas. Um, yeah, that's quite having, a big part of it. Having, having their, their event and everything there. Um, and, you know, just generally uh, assisting as as requested, basically. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's been a, a good experience working with, with Sean and Wayne. And yeah. Everything, so. Awesome. That's. I mean, now that obviously that venue itself, Mill, Mill Creek's obviously it's on radar for many people now. They know that it's. Yeah, it's definitely a known location for sure. It offers some good good fish there now. Obviously, some of the captures have been quite substantial, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy lake by any means. Um, there's not that many carp in it. They get quite big, um, and you know, there's if you get it right, you can do quite well. But you've got to, you know, you got to put it in the effort like anywhere else. Yeah, that comes down to like a baiting strategy. Yeah, baiting and, and location. And really, I feel that location is is most of the most anywhere of the picture. In and anywhere really, but especially on on lakes like such as Mill Creek that are relatively low stocked. Do you think that just comes from the mentality of the, you know, the the the, the biologist kind of the scientific side of it in your mind, like the from from the history of like kind of looking at what you've learned yeah so i spent you know a fair amount of time um on well on a number of lakes yeah and 
you know, kind of, you know, with, with modern sonar and everything, you can, you can oh, see yeah. the fish. So, um, <laughs> spending just time on the water and just while you're doing whatever and seeing where the fish are. And then, you know, on my own time, spent a fair amount of time messing around with baiting spots and things <laughs> and, um, you know, seeing what, how the fish reacted to that. And basically it, what it comes down to is if you put bait where they don't want to be, they're probably just not going to go there. Um, so you, you Almost just a waste of t- waste of time. It's basically, a waste of time it? and money. Um, <laughs> if you, if you put your bait in the wrong spot, it it really nothing will induce them to go eat it. The catfish and things will show up, but the, the carp, you know, they, there's so much natural food for them that they kind of like where we're at now. Exactly. Yeah, they don't they don't need our bait. They don't want it. They just don't no. want to bloody know it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> wouldn't be so bad if we didn't know there were so many of them here <laughs> that you know what i think that a lot of time, a lot of the time for me that's what kind of makes it worse is like you know they're here you know they're in front of you and yet they're still not getting on the bait just because there's so much so much other food source well, for especially them. right now in the fall you know all the all the vegetation in the water is you know dying back all that you know snails and everything else that was in that vegetation is now getting exposed so there's just pretty much food everywhere there's no no need for them to really be dependent on on bait at all so it's which is unfortunate for us. It is. Um, Very unfortunate. Great for them, obviously. Boost up the weight. Now, obviously, you know a lot, probably a lot more about that in terms of, you know, the diet, dietary needs and, and what really helps pump them up. But things like the muscles, obviously, we know they, yeah, they so, love that you know, stuff. If I mean, you look at, you know, anywhere that has a, you know, has really good, healthy fat carp in it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it has a lot of food items. And, and, you know, there's a few main ones, you know, muscles they certainly like. You know, you can certainly see that in uh, retention sling. At times. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, crayfish, another one they really like. Um, and then bloodworms, of course. Most of the scientific yeah. studies have really pointed at the at the bloodworms uh, being the really the bulk of a carp's diet. Isn't that crazy? Because they're so, yeah. sp- I mean, they're, in some cases, they're microscopic, aren't they? They're yeah, they're, they're really small. You know, they're maybe, what, a centimeter or something yeah. like that. Um, but, you know, there can be a lot of them in the silt. And, you know, they're, they're high in protein and they can be easily, you know, easily digested because there's, there's not a whole lot of, uh, hard hard bits to them obviously so that's it yeah and you know like that for, in my mind it reverts back this time of year when i'd be back over in in england fishing the maggots would you know come into play right. mm-hmm. and obviously here it's not a thing and i think if we were to use them we'd probably just be plagued by in my mind what i would say a nuisance fish but just other general species that would pick yeah them the, up. the bluegill and <laughs> other sunfish species would would definitely appreciate a large <laughs> a large baiting effort with maggots um do you think it would result in some carp at some point? Like yes, absolutely. Uh, I did. I've messed around a little bit with. Have you? Yeah, you've done that. Yeah, with maggots. Uh, well, not not the uh, the blue bottle or anything like right. that. But um, with soldier fly larvae, which are a maggot. As yeah. Well. Okay. Um, and I have caught carp on those quite well. Um, if you can find a spot that doesn't have too many sunfish and, and other <laughs> smaller fish that are because you'd be what it'd be one after the other, wouldn't it? Otherwise, I mean, with that in oh, regards yeah. to that, I yeah, mean, you, you know, once you know, if there's a lot of you know sunfish and suckers or catfish, you know, they they love those things too, um, and golden shiners for that matter. Oh yeah, yeah they'll, they'll which get, they'll get on that. So, you know, 
I have, you know, had success with that. I've also had success with night crawlers, um, you know, chopped into little yeah. sections, not... Yeah, I think that's something that gets forgotten about, isn't it? Obviously, it like is. the worm is like, yeah. you look at a lot of, lot of states, even I think... Um, I think New York state state record was a you know mm-hmm. currently still is well without claiming some of the other records right, that have right. been caught but uh you know the official record yeah uh that's a that was a night call wasn't yep. it so i mean it just well th- there's i know of many uh, right many lake records at least that were caught on just worms someone fishing for catfish normally or something like that yeah. just with a night crawler on the bottom and you know that that you know, it's it's much more natural for them to eat. Them. Oh, it's a huge natural food, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, the worms are pretty much anywhere and everywhere. And, yeah, and um, they get washed in all the time yeah. and whatnot. Um, I have found, you know, from my own experience, that you can get away with fishing these natural type baits in the, you know, cooler months in the winter when the other fish species have slowed down, the carp are still feeding, um, at least a little bit. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, you can get away with fishing these softer, natural things. In terms of your approach to uh, fishing for carp or fish in general, you do a lot of feeder fishing and yeah, float fishing. Yeah, I do like a that. little bit of a little bit of everything. How did all that kind of come around for you to get into that? Well, it, it was really born of uh, lack of time. <laughs> so, okay. you know, I I really obviously enjoy doing a, you know a good. Uh, good multi-day session or whatever for carp but sometimes i just have a couple hours and to get everything set up you know it's uh you know time's gone on isn't it but exactly. by the time you got the rods right. out yeah you know the the time you have includes that time to set up and everything so it's a lot quicker to get a feeder out or get a float out yeah. than it is to set up a couple of rods you know spawn out some bait all that you know uh, now i mean uh, doing that do you find that you you know catch catch rates for obviously different size fish isn't it generally you're going for yeah you know the feeders and and float both you know they're obviously smaller fish mostly um but you know on that lighter gear yeah you can have you can have (laughs) quite a fight on your hands well especially you know a bigger fish happens to come through the swim and just get in there and pick that bait up then it's yeah oh yeah yeah it certainly <laughs> is you know have you had any memorable captures like that where it's been you're not expecting it and then well good, good fishes come yeah along? yeah a couple a couple of ones um you know it's more it's not necessarily that i've caught any huge fish doing that as of as of date but um i have caught fish when you know i was messing around say with my feeder rod and had my normal carp gear out as well <laughs> Um, you know, and then I managed to hook a carp on the feeder, which, you know, and I didn't catch anything on the carp rods, you know, but. Isn't that funny um, how that works? Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't a huge fish, but I didn't get, literally it saved me from a blank. So, um, well, that's better than fish. Some fish is better than no fish. right? I suppose. <laughs> how do you feel about catfish? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've had my fair share of those today for enough for the year. So, um, a few last night see yeah. this morning so i haven't had any it's it's very odd yeah i don't know what is what is that all about i don't know <laughs> normally it's uh it's not that way i'm attract catfish from no, this is definitely different river. i'm enjoying this i might have to try and get a few more of these um these casts like on the bank in session i think it's quite it's different it's a different vibe for me it feels different too it's normally like obviously i anyone that um that has listened to any of the other podcasts before now is uh, remotely or in a office setting. Right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> this is nice. I like so, it. I can, I'm watching yeah. the carp roll and not eat. 
yeah like bait so you know i've seen several down behind okay you. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah damn things <laughs> <laughs> hopefully though um i've got a little bit of time left um you know something will show up i feel positive about it yeah and you know these 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 river systems are are really you know dynamic you know they're constantly changing yeah. and you know especially we've seen the water what the water level here has gone up and down several times oh yeah, yeah it's coming back yep, up again yep. now so <laughs> you know dropped what it dropped a foot in just a little very short period yeah not too it long did ago. yeah absolutely went right down quick slowly filling back up and you know that all plays into what the fish are doing now um going from like you mentioned a lot of reservoirs and, and man the, the man dug lakes or whatever you want to call them like yeah. that uh, to the river system is that a big kind of draw for you you like the the river side of things oh versus... yeah absolutely I, I i mean i like it all let's face it i like fishing yeah. you know um but you know the river is 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 really you know really different um especially you know going from a river you know say in the south that you know is generally muddy and and you know full of full of trees and things like that and you know where we're fishing now it's water is very clear oh yeah it's and, as clear as it could get i think up this way <laughs> and um you know there's you know there's a few trees around but mostly it's rocks and you know there's no mud to speak of and you know it's a very very different different river yeah. and knowing the knowing the size of the fish too i think that's a big draw isn't it it's yes. a big want to kind of really get the fullest potential you know the foot the biggest fish you possibly could you know knowing they're there swimming around is like <laughs> yes very much more so. drive to get after it well yes um you know it's it's worth here sitting here for however long to to catch one of these fish yeah. you know you know they're here it's just a matter of you know waiting for them to slip up the you know the other interesting thing is you know the size structure of the fish in this river you know or 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 even in some of the lakes around here absolutely you know, there's there's a much i would say higher percentage of lakes that don't have a stunted carp population uh in the north uh and, and part of that may be the the winter kill of young carp if they don't make it over right. a certain size yeah, I was you know say, they don't like, you probably know more of that in terms of the temperatures and stuff like that but you yeah so, right, the, yeah. yeah so there is you know there's uh, scientific literature out there you know indicating they that if, they don't, don't, if they don't make it over x size you know they won't survive the winter yeah and you know that obviously keeps the population down and, and only the ones that grow fast enough will now is survive. there in your um in your mind or records that you've seen is there like a specific fingling size or size that those fish need to reach in the wild like in a setting like this to, to survive that yeah there there i want to say that i've seen a couple of different sizes uh 100 and don't quote me on this 140 <laughs> millimeters or 170 okay. millimeters something like that um you know and if they if they hadn't made it over that size chances are they're gonna they're, right and and you don't get that in the south because it never gets cold enough um you know the average winter time temperature in in north texas is it's like 55 degrees or something it's ideal, which is like uh, what 11 or 12 <laughs> degrees celsius something like that yeah. you know um which is optimal fishing temperature exactly and and fish just popped out behind you <laughs> well hopefully it will get on my bait which is over there um but yeah they are optimal temperatures aren't they i mean and i think if this side of the country were to see those 
no, I, I like the seasonal temperatures change and, and stuff like that and the winter, the fall months and spring uh, temps as well. But I think if we were to have that consistent temperature without the big freeze and the right. fish 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 sizes, the growth rates would probably Oh, they would definitely go increase, up, right? but but the you know the flip side there that you got to remember is of course that you may end up with more fish surviving, overwintering, and then there's more competition for food, results in more smaller fish, more as smaller to the fish big ones, yeah. So you know it's 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 a fairly complex system. It's not as simple as saying, oh, if this happened, right. you know, this would happen. Well, maybe, you know, I often think about not. it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's great like having these waters with the uh, with the predatory fish in the pike, the yeah. muskie, because it definitely obviously. Keeps keeps the numbers of smaller fish down you know like that's mm-hmm. for them it's probably a, a, a you know a go-to food source like a small you know four to oh yeah you know, carp for a pike well, they, like, you know, <laughs> everything likes to eat a small carp and that starts from when they're an egg the bluegill love carp eggs right you know and they gobble up as many as they possibly can and then <laughs> if any hatch out well the bluegill still eat them yeah. until they're that and they're, you know, they obviously you know they, they eat themselves as well don't right. i mean in a spawn spawn phase like a bigger carp will oh yeah know, pick up the spoiler their own spawn and yeah there's not the interesting thing about carp is you know there's the sort of um i guess i don't know what you call it, collective sort of impression that carp really like to eat fish eggs yeah and <laughs> and that's it's not really borne out by any of the studies that have been done to date um you know they've even taken uh a carp put it in a small cage enclosure with a spawning bass largemouth bass and it didn't touch the bass eggs and there was actually more Hmm. Uh, juvenile bass in the cage with the carp than the one without the carp. That's something to think about, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, it, it doesn't... Considering doesn't, there's a lot of claims made to it, isn't there, that carp, you know, destruct and kind of devastate these bass fisheries or, you know, well-known bass fisheries or they're wiping out the bass spawn and... Right, where they're either messing up the, the nests and everything. Yeah, is that... A, I mean, and obviously that, and that's really hasn't played true, out but, in, the, in the literature, really. Now, the, the biggest thing... Um, is you know carp's feeding habit, habits and they stir yeah. up the bottom if you have a very silty you right. know, bottom that is going to be suspended easily in the water then yeah they they will suspend that um how that got in that place though is often a a, a human interaction with correct with <laughs> you know runoff and and poor land use practices that got it to that place the buildup of the sediment exactly. and the silt yeah, exactly. stuff, yeah so you know i mean it's a carp is just a fish. It does what it does. Um, you see, this water is. There's tons of carp out here, and we can see the bottom in six feet pretty easily. It looks like. So, yeah, you know. yeah, and it, again, I know obviously it's slightly different, isn't it, for a, a moving water versus a still like lake or reservoir. But even then, there is a natural occurring current in reservoirs and, and lakes, isn't there? I yeah, mean, yeah. Kind of, wind action generates plenty of current. Right. You know, depending on on the lake. You know, if it's a you know. A, spring-fed lake it's generally going to be clearer than a lake that has uh you know some sort of sometimes i do like having a little or a little color to the water um unless it's on a i think a river system's different though isn't it? i mean when you compare the two like the lake and the river clear water slightly colored water and super you know super clear water you know at 
a really if it's not a river you know it's a really clear lake or something like that i i really haven't had much luck during the day honestly yeah um no it's always for me it's always been late late evening just exactly. as the sun's dropping off yep. or those early very early hours 2 a.m yep. 3 a.m exactly that's that's what i've always found in, in those those um scenarios one thing you know touching back on the natural versus man-made yeah here in new england there's a lot of natural lakes you know they may have a little dam built to raise the level but they're still a natural lake they were already there uh whereas as in texas obviously as i I pointed out there was only one (laughs) do you think there's more like more um i mean let's talk i mean car specifically do you think there's more opportunity for bigger fish in lakes the the natural kind of runoffs from the rivers I, I, i think in natural lakes um there is a higher chance um, of, of having better better fish and and this is why in man-made reservoirs the reason there isn't any lakes is because of the sediment load coming into that um, that system so in in any of the lakes that have a river feeding it or anything like that that are man-made they're going to they have a lifespan Good. and that lifespan can be fairly short in some cases because of all the sediment being washed in by the river. Now, that tends to make the water fairly, fairly, you know, muddy, turbid, and with that tends, you know, the more turbid the water, the you know, generally speaking, the more carp survive, and you end up with a stunted carp population. Yeah, not always. Even then, like the carp are still super, super hardy, aren't they? I mean, most of oh, them yeah. can survive, you know, in a in a ditch drain. If yeah, they're they're, need be. <laughs> they're 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 obviously a super resilient species. That's yeah. why they're so widespread. Is because they can tolerate a very wide range of habitats and, and environmental conditions. But the the natural lakes. Are they're naturally there because there wasn't any sediment. You know, they've been there for yeah. since the you know glaciers left, and you know they're still here since the caveman. Right, of. exactly. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, right. know, ten thousand years or whatever, um, and that generally means they have clear water um, because there's not all that sediment coming in. The there's a couple other things. There's more generally more oxygen. If you got clear water, the you know the thermocline um, won't necessarily become anoxic. That sort of thing. Right. Which and, is, again d- uh, on the bigger lakes is quite a big thing, isn't it? I mean, depending on the levels you're fishing at, the depths. Yeah. So that that's if I had one <laughs> one thing to tell everyone uh, to pay attention to, especially in the summer months when it's warmer um, and you're fishing in a still water not river doesn't really apply nearly as much but if you're fishing in any lake or pond or anything keep in mind that below a certain level there may be no oxygen and um, you know sometimes that can be alarmingly shallow like 10 feet um, or even less sometimes I've seen it be up to um you've actually gone out done readings yeah done done, done profiling for it and you know in some lakes in the heat of the summer when there's very little wind sucked right out of yeah it can be a meter and a half below that there's no oxygen um so there's really not going to be any fish yeah below that that and there's not much else of any like no plant life no like well there's right there's not going to be you know it's in especially if the lake is more turbid yeah you know there's going to be no light down there yeah it's going to be pitch black um there's no oxygen, hence <laughs> there's very little food, um, even if, you know, and, and you could catch carp there by baiting up 
and if they were happen to be around and they it's were kind hungry of moving enough, through stuff they'll, on that they'll drop down through where they can't really breathe grab some mouthfuls come yeah. back up but th- that to me it's never seemed really ideal um, it's much better to fish where they're going to be comfortable feeding. Is there a way to to meter that or measure that when you're at, as a, as an angler? It's very difficult. Um, yeah. You have to have a, a basically a, a temperature uh, and dissolved oxygen probe to do that with. Um, <laughs> now, Let's go grab I'll, one of those real quick. Yeah, <laughs> they're only five hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, some state agencies, and you can you know you can try and push them in that direction if they're not already doing it but um do the um readings okay tennessee for example does um profiling of some of their lakes i know or at least they used to uh and that information i don't know if it's online or you just need to contact the biologist and it kind of that's over you know oversees whatever lake yeah you're interested in and get that information from them but because that could be quite handy can it like i mean depending on the areas you're fishing and the zones that oh absolutely the the, the other sort of roundabout way to get it is with a fish finder um and if you can see the thermocline you know where the temperature really yeah jumping changes, off yeah you know and that and then you know you can sometimes use that in combination with well okay the water is you know over over the deeper than the thermocline now do i see any fish below that thermocline <laughs> <laughs> all right no not really uh, okay then that's probably where good it's good chance you know, that that's there exactly yeah it's definitely something different isn't it i mean I, again like you mentioned not many people would probably even think about stuff like that no a lot of you know I, the sort of the standard method i see here is you know you go to the lake and you blast it out basically as far as you can or whatever is comfortable and that might be you know and if it's 15 feet of water you know most anglers are ha- quite happy with that yeah you know um yeah and, optimal feeding zone for most most places that kind of eight to 15 foot right depths, you know, isn't and, it? you know well, other people you know might be happy with even deeper water yeah deeper water bigger fish well that doesn't always work out if there's no oxygen down there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's simply there's not. Yeah, it's definitely uh, kind of some food for thought kind of situation. You know, really Absolutely. something to think about. I don't think many people really think about that. Uh, I didn't honestly up until I you know was on the path to becoming you know a fisheries biologist. Yeah, yeah it's definitely more of a scientific I, side I of it. I really never thought of it, and I was you know I I can think of a couple of times when I was fishing way too deep, and the reason <laughs> I didn't catch anything is because there was no oxygen there. Yeah. But I I hadn't you know, it, it's not something that I think most anglers think of. No, um, not at all. But again, I know um, you know you only have to look at some cat, catch reports for uh, other anglers in the world or other other lakes. You know, globally, I mean, even St. Lawrence River, for example, I mean, uh, there's there's spots there below the, you know, below the de- one of the dams. It's easy 50 to 60 feet. Right. Fish, are, fish are getting caught. Yeah. Off and the bottom at that depth. So Absolutely. And, and if the oxygen is there, that's, you know, there's no reason why not. Yeah. You know, if, if the habitat is suitable. Um, but, you know, you go in, you know, a fairly stagnant lake during you know a dry period in the heat of summer when the wind dies off and you know there's oxygen gets used up pretty rapidly so that's you know something that is is i I feel i can't overstress when it comes yeah no and now i mean obviously like you said if you're there and you're fishing and you're putting bait in and it's kind of 
a waste, really, isn't right. it? Right. Well, that's, you know, it's, um, <laughs> it goes back to the location is more important than, yeah. you know, you know, some of these lakes, you know, they have a beautiful channel, you know, old creek channel down the middle of them. You know, it's 15, 13, 15 feet. You know, it looks great. Yeah. But, you know, there's no oxygen below about Nothing eight Nothing else happening. So, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's better to go find a flat area. And I, and I have seen this play out where, you know, in the... Um, lakes that that really do stratify like this and, and have anoxic conditions below relatively shallow depths. Most of the carp are typically found in in, shallow, in in fairly shallow flats that are just about at that thermocline level. Mm. You know they're not you know they're not anoxic yet. You know they're right about as as deep as you can go and without line right. Yeah. And that and then you know any sort of flat area that has you know a fair amount of feeding area and that's where the fish tend to hang out. Uh, it makes sense, really. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, thinking about it um, from that kind of point of view, it's like, all right, well, that yeah, for some it probably opens up a lot of more, a lot of options that they wouldn't have looked at. Yeah, absolutely, because you know these places they may not look terribly interesting. You know, it's no. just a big flat. It's all about eight feet foot deep. You know, some of these lakes that might be just the place you want to be fishing during the warmer months. You know, during once it cools down, obviously, you know, the lake mixes up yeah. and the fish can go anywhere they want comfortably. But well. uh, there you go, listeners. Something to think about in your in your angling. Um, I know I definitely never really thought. Of, I've never really thought about it like that. But I get, again, you look into it as a you know from a scientific point of view, and you think about it, and you're like, oh blimey, no wonder I didn't catch a fish. I was fishing in a yeah, absolutely twenty plus feet of water with well, no oxygen, and uh, <laughs> how do I think there's going to be a carp yep. down there surviving? <laughs> right, and you know that's that's where sort of my my you know. Um, hobby, if you will, yeah. or, or you know, my passion for angling can really intersect with the sort of scientific side. When when you're out on the bank, do you, do you approach it from that scientific point? Well, of I view? certainly think about what yeah. I just mentioned as yeah, far as the oxygen and everything. <laughs> you know, if if it's a lake that would be applicable, um, you know, and I, I certainly try to think about. It's not really the biology; it would be more technically the ecology. Yeah. what is going on so right now we've already of course touched on you know the aquatic plants are dying back that's going to be releasing a lot of food now There's that fish crashing behind you all over the place that sounded like a good one <laughs> that's probably the eighth fifth show i've seen back there all right we're gonna have to get rod on the spot <laughs> anyways um so yeah it it Looking at the, you know, the ecology of it, and ecology just means looking at everything as yeah. opposed to just the biology of the Yeah, car. the whole scope right, of right. it. It's, yeah. it's the other other organisms as well as not just the fish you're after. And, you know, try and, try and keep that in mind as much as possible when it comes to, you know, your, your location especially. Mm. I keep coming back to location, but honestly, I think that's the most the yeah. single most important thing yeah because yeah, i mean I, again i'm sure it's happened to many many anglers but i mean i've been in situations where i've moved uh, moved a rod you know a single bait or rod from six feet from the left to the right and it's changed you know changed everything yeah absolutely and uh again it, it could be obviously on a bigger scale as well but i think it's you really, like you said, you really got to take into account every, everything when it when you're out there. But I, I don't know. I think someone like yourself that's got the inside kind of looking out from a scientific perspective, I think it definitely changes the way you, you fish, your thought process, bait selection, like time of year, when you're going to go. Oh, I, you know, there's all, all sorts of things. But, <laughs> you know, the thing about... 
at a very basic level about science is it's, it's not science is is simply a method of of learning things it's not you know this sort of it can answer all questions equally well that sort of thing it, it simply can't um unless you can figure out a way to ask the question in a testable way that's that's that all sense. that's all that science is is being able <laughs> to test a hypothesis and you know, a lot of things haven't been tested you know especially when it comes to carp fishing right you know and, and there's so many variables it'd be very hard to test a lot of these things um, if not impossible but you know i use what what i uh, what i've learned mm. as best i can but you know there's certain things like what color pop-up is the best yeah. given whatever well, conditions well <laughs> there's that there's such a wide infinite, scope isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's pretty it's, much infinite uh, and you know could that be worked out yeah probably but it hasn't been done and and um i would love to do it but i don't have the time or money the scope on something like that to, to figure out what what pop-up is preferred over another there would be so it would it's be, endless isn't it well <laughs> You've got temperature, time of year, depths, like well, you know, the, so much. The, you know, um, you know the various, you know, pH of the water. You know, there, there's so many variables that go into that question. You know, and then of course the pop up themselves. Yeah. I mean, good lord, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of hook bait options these days. Yeah, so, there are probably too many, know, really. <laughs> you know, it's it's really endless. Um, the, the sort of variables that you would have to <laughs> to control for to, to really test that. Um, but, you know, could it be done? Yeah, probably. Um, is it practical? Probably not. <laughs> well, I think if anyone's the guy to do it, it sounds like you're the guy to go to to try and figure it out, maybe. Oh, I'd, I'd love to do it, but <laughs> until I win the lottery or something, it's, it's, it's not probably gonna not going to happen. Yeah. But for now, I think, uh, I think we're pretty content getting out and yeah, well, doing what we're know, doing I'm, now. I'm just you kinda... know, I got the the scientific background, but I'm at, I'm an angler at heart, right? So, yeah, there you go. You know, it's I'm um, just getting out and, and watching the fish roll and not be caught is is it's enough to drive you to keep going. <laughs> yes, there was another one behind you just now. So <sighs> bloody things. Yeah. So have you got um obviously for the for the rest of the fall you've got a few few sessions kind of in mind and planned out that you want to get out to do anything yeah. in mind big for for the spring now you're kind of somewhat settled in. Yeah, so I you know we were talking about this yeah. earlier prior to the podcast and, and you know there's there's a couple different ways you can approach your fishing and and you know you can just kind of go around sort of shotgun blast <laughs> style and yeah. try and you know just fish as many different places you know as as you can and, and you will luck into fish um and it's maybe not completely luck but you know you, you will find some good fish yeah the, you know what i've been focusing on the last several years now is is picking a couple of waters and trying to focus on those a little bit more spend more time on them kind of learn what the fish do mm-hmm um, a little bit more. So, you know, for me, you know, I haven't been up here that long. So, you know, finding out a little bit about their movements throughout the year, you know, that sort of thing, where they spawn. Do Plays they, a key part, doesn't right, it, to everything. Yeah. You know, cause, um, you know, you can't catch a fish that's not there. Um, <laughs> that's it. 
So <laughs> you also or, can't catch them if you're not there. So. Well, well, <laughs> like, well, it, and, and as it turns out right now, you can't catch them if they are there. Well, yeah, you know, another one. I just, I keep, I keep hearing them, and I just, I know, I know they're gonna, a few. At some point, something's going to come through, and hopefully, um, it may be one of those things. You know, and I've seen this. You know, up. once one picks up, starts that feeding frenzy, then they just, it. they just go all go go for it. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Yeah. I remember as a child, uh, there was a koi pond at this garden center. Yeah. And because I was eight years old and obsessed with fish, I had to find, I found some crackers or something to, to feed, feed to the koi. <laughs> and they were very tame fish. You know, they'd come right over. Um, but I was trying to hand feed them out of my, Jeez. you know, and they would come up and look at it wouldn't touch it yep. you know they just always turn away then one fish came up and ate that food then they were all over me it's <laughs> like triggers them yeah that one the... fish they wouldn't touch it before that one fish ate it and then they were all wanting some and they were all you know coming right up and taking it out of my hand <laughs> but it was like well, you know a switch was flipped hopefully that that switch flips for us fairly soon and uh something happens but yes uh, got a little bit of time left so you'll never know but um we're well, hoping this podcast would do it but it hasn't yet yeah you know i'm gonna have uh, i think i've got some lunch i'm gonna put on get on the go in a minute and mm-hmm. uh that maybe you know all always happens doesn't it when you're in the middle of doing something but i just need to, to dis- disassemble my net i think that would <laughs> that might help yeah put it away in the car and just wait and then it go exactly fantastic well yes. evan thanks ever so much for oh, thanks uh for having of, me on yeah it's a pleasure it's, it's a pleasure to just be outdoors i'm definitely going to do a few more like this i think it's uh, a little different it's nice to just be watching the trees and, and the wildlife and the water and stuff so absolutely but thanks for kind of uh, sharing with us some of your insight especially the, on the scientific level so Certainly. to speak <laughs> yeah, anytime appreciate it talk fantastic stuff on behalf of the big carp news podcast thank you for listening and if you enjoy our podcast please feel free to subscribe for your preferred platform and remember you can also leave us a comment and let us know we'd love to hear from you a big thank you to evan for taking the time out and sharing some of his past moments with us and talking on the more scientific approach of his carp angling for more upcoming episodes of the big carp news podcast written articles product reviews and much much more be sure to check out the big carp news website over at www.bigcarp.news also don't forget to check out bigcarptackle.com for all your carp fishing needs right here in the usa as always thanks for listening stay safe and stay carpy